Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. On the last episode of Love and Life, we spoke with Dr. Jeffrey S. Reber, author of The Paradox of Perfection, How Embracing Our Imperfection Perfects Us. Dr. Reber and I dove deep into all things perfectionism and the language of flawlessness, which keeps so many of us shackled to this image of who we should be perfect all the time without any realistic expectations for ourselves and others. So if you haven't had the chance to listen to that episode, please check out episode 60. We get into perfectionism in the age of social media vulnerability as it relates to perfectionism. We talk about the most powerful aspect of psychotherapy, which also relates to perfectionism. Dr. Rubber talks about the deep shame that keeps so many of us trapped in the pursuit of flawlessness. We talk about marriage and perfectionism, of course, and we talk about perfectionism in the age of the gotcha culture. Today's episode continues the conversation with Dr. Reber and speaks specifically to perfectionism as it relates to parenting. Dr. Reber shares that, in fact, one of the main reasons he wrote the book was for parents and mothers in particular who feel a lot of pressure to perfectly parent their kids and how that pressure oftentimes can negatively impact their relationship with their children and with themselves. So we'll pick back up with Dr. Reber right now. In the beginning of the book, you talk about language and thought, which I love. The theme of this podcast is take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. So I'm very into the power of language and what that means and the words that we choose and the thoughts that we think. And you look at the relationship between language and thought as it relates to perfectionism. Can you speak a little more about this, please? Yeah, absolutely. When we're born, from the moment we interact with our parents, we're learning not just the language of our culture, the country of origin, but we're also being taught and learning languages around how to behave, what is acceptable, what is considered normal and and appropriate to our family. And one of the languages that's very subtle um, but sneaks in rather early in our, I think very early in our childhood in many homes is a language of perfectionism, which essentially means flawlessness. Mm. Um, Parents don't necessarily even mean to do this. It's not necessarily conscious, Um, but we create a kind of intolerance for error with our children. I can give you an example when um, I have a son who tends to be pretty high on the perfectionism side, mm. and he uh, came home one day and um, was telling me his grades, and he was happy because he got 100%, but he was complaining because the teacher had said it was possible to get 110%. Now, I don't know you know, how that works mathematically, but <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was a little frustrated that he didn't reach the highest you know, level. And when I heard that, my my sense of, oh, no, I've got a perfectionist son here kind of kicked in. And so I 
I told him, I said, look, grades aren't that important. You don't have to get A's in every class. In fact, if you got a C, I wouldn't be disappointed at all. I might even be happy. So it would seem that I'm teaching him a language of, you know, it's okay not to be flawless and to fall a little short. But then when he'll come home with a test and I look over the test with him and I say, son, you know better than this. Why did you get this one wrong? We went over this together in your homework or you're smarter than that. You know that, that you, if you thought through it long enough, you could have figured out the answer. So subtly I'm sending him a different message, right. which is I really don't tolerate your mistakes because if you were really doing your best and working your hardest, you wouldn't have had any. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to put the child in a double bind situation. That's exactly right. That's the that's the paradox there is yeah. I'm saying don't be perfect and it's okay, but all of my behaviors and interactions, if they speak to an intolerance for mistakes, I'm really sending the message of you better be perfect. Yeah. And that's something that as a parent, again, that tension just seems to be so in your face at all times, because of course you want your child to achieve his potential in every area and you want him to strive. Whatever activity he's endeavoring to do, you want him to do it with excellence. But at the same time, you don't want him to feel this shame if he doesn't achieve 110%, which as you point out is mathematically impossible, but somehow. (laughs) So So it's tough, I think, for parents. It is really hard. We have this capacity to imagine a perfect version of our child. Mm. We have the capacity to imagine a perfect version of ourselves. It's not actualizable, but because it's in our mind and we're aware of a child who doesn't make mistakes on his science test, when we sit down with the child, we're able to speak to that ideal. And what we don't realize is when you speak to the ideal, you're speaking to an impossibility. Because even if your child works their hardest and does everything their best, it's always going to inevitably fall short of flawlessness. And we add to that, I'm afraid, um, a history sometimes of of really punishing our kids for making mistakes. Um, Whether it's a a literal punishment in terms of, you did this wrong, I'm now going to give you a timeout or something. Or whether it's just the the kind of subtle nonverbal communication or comments that say, yeah, this is okay, but you could have done it better. There is a better way, and you should have accessed that. You should have gone that way. And so our kids learn. We've learned Mm -hmm. very, very young. Um, If we grew up in a perfectionist context, we just learned that we're really not supposed to make mistakes, and if we do, it's not okay. If you drink black coffee or hot tea, I know you've burned your tongue hundreds of times. Or you've had to wait 20 minutes for your coffee to cool down, which by that time, your donut or muffin is long gone and you've missed the joy of pairing that sweet breakfast item with your bitter black coffee. If it sounds like I'm speaking from personal experience, I am. But I've got good news for us. Drink Perfection takes beverages from scalding hot to the perfect temperature, where you can actually appreciate the flavor notes, by the way, in just 20 seconds without watering them down. Learn more at drinkperfection.com. And be sure to check out The Perfector's other application, taking red wine from room temp to wine cellar temperature again in just 20 seconds. Find out more at drinkperfection.com. And you talk about schema and schematic. Can you explain that a little bit uh, in terms of how this all relates to the language and then perfectionism? Yeah, this um, 
stems from the work of Jean Piaget, who's a famous developmental cognitive psychologist. And um, the idea is essentially that in order to process information, we have to create categories that make it easier on us to, to manage that information load. And so those categories are, again, taught to us by our parents and culture and the media and other things. Um, a common schema or category, for example, that's what a schema is. It's a, a mental category. Um, a, a common schema is body image, you know, attractiveness. How do you look physically? And we're taught, again, very young, that there's a certain way someone should look that is attractive. And what can happen is we can become what's called schematic for that category, which means it becomes almost all we can see and experience and feel. So we, we process information through, we filter it through that schema more than we should. Um, I've worked, you know, I'm a therapist. I've worked with clients whose um, parents would do weekly weigh-ins with them from when they were young children. Oh, wow. And if the weigh-in was a loss of weight then from the week before, then they would reward them. If the weigh-in was gaining in weight, they would punish them. And what unfortunately happens in a case like that is it gets the, the child's mind oriented towards good people lose weight and, and stay at a low weight. I'm a bad person if I'm gaining weight and becoming overweight. And that becomes then a, a cognitive category through which they, they look at everything. Unfortunately, it can develop into what we call body dysmorphic disorder, where a person's schema for weight or attractiveness becomes so overwhelming that they will do horrible things, um, starve themselves. They will sometimes undergo so many plastic surgeries that they, un they look not human uh, mm -hmm. anymore. And, and all of that is because when they look at the, in the mirror, that schema for attractiveness and body type, it just overwhelms their vision and they can't see clearly anymore. You know, beneath that schema of body weight and attractiveness is a, a schema for perfection. Mm -hmm. that one should be physically flawless and that if you can make that happen either by exercise or makeup or plastic surgery or losing weight, then you can finally feel good about yourself. Right. And while we're talking about parents and children, because I do have a lot of parents who are listeners, I do think it bears underscoring. And I, I'd be curious from your work and your clinical practice, how often do you see some of this messaging that parents are communicating to children and children are then internalizing as partly a boundary issue where the parents are seeing the child as an extension of themselves? And because they haven't reached their own perfection, they want the child to be this perfect mini-me. You must be perfect because you represent me. You're an extension of me. Yeah, there's a, an easy sort of litmus test um, I've found for that, and that is young children in sports. So mm. when my children were like four years old, we'd put them on a soccer team so they could get exercise and have mm -hmm. some fun. And, you know, these kids don't even know which way their goal is that they're to be kicking in <laughs> right. the ball into. But you will have parents who are just enraged at the coach for not playing their child as much as they want or yelling at their child for not knowing where the goal is. And I'm thinking, this is clearly not just about a four-year-old's desires for playing soccer, which probably are minimal at that age. This is about a parent who is vicariously living through right. their child. And clearly that boundary that should be in place is not. Uh, Freud called this identification, you know, the tendency to identify 
our ego, our sense of self with our children who do share genetic makeup with us mm-hmm. and did you know, grow up in our home. And so we tend to, you know, see those similarities, but we overemphasize how much our ego is bound up with theirs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've seen it with the, um, you know, the beauty pageant mothers who will take their very, very young children into beauty pageants. And it's clearly about the mom Mm -hmm. um, and not about the child. And unfortunately, again, these parents are not only identifying with their children, but I think they're identifying with the ideal of their children. Right. So they should be the next Mia Hamm, you know, Alex Morgan soccer player, or they should be the pageant winner every time because they should be the most beautiful person there. And they're not, I think, aware of their children's limitations around the ideal. Yeah. And I always think, I wonder why if, if people, because I don't think people often, even major life decisions, I don't know that people are always being as introspective as I think would be helpful. I don't know that people always think clearly, why am I having kids? Sometimes they just kind of move through the stages of life and they just assume they'd always be a parent. But if they haven't examined, what is this about? Am I trying to raise a young person to contribute to society, to certainly carry on my values that I believe are wonderful for the community and help everyone around me. So it's not that you don't want any extension of you, but if you haven't really thought through that, it's really easy to just assume that your kid is going to need to live whatever whatever you failed to finish in your life. So now your kid's got to do it and you're going to live vicariously through their achievements. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. I mean, sometimes when I think about the real reason, the most important reason for writing that book, I'm probably thinking of a mom because mm-hmm. I think moms are so hard on themselves around parenting, mm-hmm. and they want so much for their children to be successful human beings and citizens and workers and so on. And so mothers are constantly aware of their falling short in their mothering. And if they had done critical reflection earlier on, not, not just about their parenting, but about their own propensity towards flawlessness, right. their own tendency to be tempted towards the ideal, if they could realize that in their own lives, they've become perfectionistic, then, and, and think about why that is and how that's, that's not been pleasant, it's not been helpful, it's mm-hmm. not been healthy, then I think they can start to reflect on, okay, my children, how am I treating them in ways that are creating some of the very demons that I don't want to have for myself, and I may be passing on to them this perfectionistic kind of ideal. Right. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram at Dr. Karen. That's D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Live tweet with me when I watch my favorite shows, Will and Grace, my brand new fave, God Friended Me. And of course, all shows Bachelor Nation. Join me on Facebook where I'm stepping up my Facebook live game. I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Dr. Reber, I want to thank you so much for appearing on the program. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It has been for me just a, a real pleasure to talk with you. And 
My hope is the reason for writing this book is to just provide a little hope and a little relief and a recognition that not only do we not have to be flawless, we don't even have to pursue flawlessness to still have a healthy, flourishing and meaningful life. I think you absolutely achieved that through the book, having read it. So again, thank you for writing it and thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so very much. The love and life hack for this week is good enough parenting. I'm borrowing that term from the work of D.W. Winnicott, who stressed that it's not about perfect parenting. It's about good enough parenting. And you know what? We can all be good enough. If you're interested in other content related to parenting, please check out my interviews with Dr. Leonard Sachs. He's an eminent psychologist and medical doctor. Yeah, he got a PhD and an MD. And I have a two-part episode with him. It's episode 33 titled, I Just Want My Kids to Be Happy and Other Flawed Parenting Ideals. And episode 34, American Parenting, Why It's So Hard But Doesn't Have to Be. Dr. Sachs presents the cultural realities that make parenting more difficult today than in days gone by, and he backs all of his suggestions with psych research and science. Or if your child is struggling with anxiety about the school culture and the bullying that goes on so often, check out my interview with Katie Hurley, LCSW, author of No More Mean Girls, episode 38, and part two is in 39. In episode 18, Be the Best Parent, Science Shows Us How, I discuss a well-established theory of parenting from the developmental psych literature, Diana Baumrein's parenting styles. Take the guesswork out of parenting. It's actually pretty simple. Not easy, but simple. And if you're having trouble launching your young adult, episode 37 is for you. Emptying the Nest, Young Adults Living at Home, interview with Dr. Brad E. Sachs. In this episode, we talk about the dynamics at work in families in which a young adult seems to have a hard time taking off. Spoiler alert, both the young person and the parents play a part. Dr. Sachs shares strategies for encouraging and supporting families as they navigate this developmental transition. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Thank you for listening today and for subscribing and rating and reviewing podcast episodes. I truly appreciate it. This is Dr. Karen anderson Abril, And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.